Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I tried my best to get to top 1200 Mythic, and let me tell you, it is tough out there. Yeah, it's it's a weird ladder system, dude, that like incentivizes you to qualify late so you can be in top 1200 and incentivizes you to not play once you are in top 1200. Like someone in my Discord posted today, like, should I play? I'm at like 800 or something. And, you know, the season ends in a couple hours. And I was like, no. And that's a weird spot to be in, to be like, look, I want to play Magic, but I'm not going to because I want to qualify for this thing next month. Yeah, it's hard. I got to Mythic fairly early in the month, probably midway through the month, and came in in the 700s and played a draft and went 2-3 and was in the percents. And then the last week or so, I've been trying to climb out of the percents. I've been fluctuating between 95 and 99%. I've seen someone as low as 62% in the Mythics, which is crazy. And I got out of the percents a couple times, I think mostly by 7xing, like gets you out. But I think you have to 7x multiple drafts in a row really to get out of the percents into the top 1200. It's tough to do playing against other Mythic players. There's not a lot of edges to be gained there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's tough. Everyone keeps saying like, I want ranked best of three. I feel very strongly that I do not want that. Just because you want a place to go be casual? Well, I also want, I would like a place to leverage my play skill. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not above playing against people who are worse than me. <laughs> like, Amen to that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's how I feel. Uh, well, perhaps in, in, in a little bit uh, better news, Ben, last week, I cashed day two of the Arena Open. Oh, snap. Have we not talked about that on the podcast? We have not because we recorded right before day two last week. Wow, I'm so selfish. Just woe is me. And here you are (laughs) crushing it. And I didn't set you up. What a terrible podcast co-host. It's fine. It's fine. I'm so full of myself. I'll bring it up anyway. (laughs) Yeah, sick congrats. How was it? It was incredibly stressful. Um, I was like, I don't know. I That kind of like, you know, high stakes-ish life does not sit well with me. Like I like physically shake a little bit i kept having to like i recorded all my games and so all of the audio is just me like mumbling to myself and like breathing very heavily to try and (laughs) like calm my nerves about the situation but it was i think i played really really well i also did miss a few things um so i i reviewed the whole run on my stream this week which i'm glad i did i'm glad i didn't do it live but i'm glad i recorded it and then had it had the opportunity to review it, picked up on some mistakes that I made. Um, and then I also wrote about it for CFB Pro this week. I did a whole like arena open tournament report style article about my day two run and a little bit about day one as well. Um, so yeah, all of that stuff is out there and available, but it was really fun. Um, I'm very, obviously very happy that I cashed. Um, so that was sweet. And I hope that there are more of those events in the future. Yeah, your article was super awesome. Reddit it. It was very comprehensive and I think give a good look into what your run was like. I, if anyone is wondering, am not top 1200 mythic and also <laughs> scrubbed out of the... <laughs> your pool was much worse than mine. I mean, it's just like hard to make a functional deck out of what you had. Yeah, my pool was pretty terrible. Yeah. And that's, I think, a lot of why people are asking for. They're like, all right, fine, sealed day one, but can we please have draft day two to try and, you know, mitigate those sort of feel bads of just, you know, doing three, four, five runs on day one only to open a sad pool? Because I do think there is a lot of skill to be gained from sealed, but then there are just going to be some busted pools and some really unsalvageable pools. And that does feel bad. No, it was a great experience, though. Like, 
would love to do more of them and would love to one, two more of them, please. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Can't, uh, can't have a better review than that. All right, Ben. So today we're going to be talking about something that we don't talk about very often on the podcast. Agrodex, baby. We're talking about Boros, red and white, why they're so good in the format, how to off-ramp into those colors or that deck specifically, and even the multiple flavors that that color pair has to offer. But before we get into any of that, got to talk about a few housekeeping things. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. It's where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Um, lots and lots of sealed prep action happening over in the Discord in preparation for the Arena Open. And also, uh, had someone compile a bunch bunch of sealed pools into a spreadsheet from day two competitors across Twitter so that folks can like, you know, go and mess with the pool themselves, then see what the person built to whatever record they had, which is really cool because we don't really have sealed prep now on arena in anticipation of the MCQ in a couple weeks. Um, so really cool to see that sort of stuff happening. And there's just a lot of creativity, a lot of help happening in the discord. We say it each and every week as the community grows in the discord, it feels like it gets stronger, not like messier or, uh, you know, unfocused. It's just a really, really great community. And we got some folks to welcome into that community this week. So this week we're going to welcome David, Bastion, Isaac, Sauna, Eero, Stefan, Jason, Ray, Charles, Ted, Jogger, Michael, McLean, Aaron, Diogo, and Daniel. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Discord is awesome. And shout out to Evan T, I think, is the one that spearheaded that uh, in the Discord compiling those seal pools. Yes. Thank you. Show is also brought to you in part by CFB, now channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. Boatload of stuff going on over at CFB. If you're interested in Ethan's tournament report and you're not on CFB Pro, what are you waiting for? $4.99 a month or $9.99 and you get the $10 back in store credit. So it's essentially free if you're going to be buying magic cards over at Channel Fireball. They've got box breaks as a sweet way to buy new product. You know, you buy into a box and you get randomly assigned a color and you get whatever gets pulled out of that color. So if you can't afford a whole box, but you want to get in on some of that box opening sweat, CFB box breaks might be right for you. In addition to that, U-Box We Buy is still running. If you've got old cards laying around the house, anything like that, box them up, ship them over to Channel Fireball, and they'll make you an offer on what they're worth, and you can either accept or they'll mail your cards back to you. So wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things going on over at Channel Fireball, and anything you do over there, please, 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 please use code LOL, all caps, when you check out to let them know that Ethan and I sent you over there, and it helps the podcast out, and we really, really, really appreciate it. I should like insert Godfather clip of like, make him an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> where you uh, talked about the box break, the U box we buy, we should should do that. All right, uh, you know, I, I titled this episode "And My Axe" before we had the uh, the whole Lord of the Rings crossover announcement this week. Um, so, so maybe maybe an unintentional uh, preview there, but I'm gonna keep it keep it as is here, talking about Boros Agro in Kaldheim. But before we do that, I do want to do a little little brief format check in. You know, we we've been playing a bunch. You've certainly been playing a bunch this week. Um, and I wanted to see where we're at with stuff. And I know we've been talking about, you know, how snow is shaking out in the metagame, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that's a big part of this format. And it has felt like just wildly different draft to draft. Either it feels super contested, which is most of the time in my mind, or it feels wide, wide open. And there isn't really an in-between that I've experienced. Yeah, I have really enjoyed drafting this week. This is what I 
pictured the format looking like in my head where snow was really contested. And then because snow was really contested, then you're forced to branch out into black, green, blue, white. Like I drafted blue, white three times this week, and I have not drafted that at all the entire format prior to this. But it just happened that, you know, people were really on green. I think people are finally realizing how busted Surf's Packmate is. And they're fighting over it. And that, I think, opens the door to experiment with a lot of the other maybe underdrafted or underappreciated decks in the format. Yeah, for sure. To that, I have been obsessed with drafting Sagas and Master Scald this week. Um, I just like can't get enough of it. And I'm trying to like abuse the Sagas and like either bouncing them with Depart the Realm or ideally rebuying them with Master Scald. And that has been super, super fun and has been a, a nice, powerful off ramp or a, a other option from these these busted snow decks. That requires you to get past good cards. What's what's that like? Oh, it's really good. I don't know if you know this, but as a streamer, you get streamer luck. So you should try and cash that in. Man, I need to get on that list. Yeah, you got to get on that that white list there. And this is something that I've been really trying to figure out is that, you know, I get a lot of folks coming into my chat with opinions from, hey, I saw quarter calls do this, or I saw ham TV do this, and or Ryan Sachs is tweeting about this. And I think that we're at a point in the format, we're about you know a little over a month deep, where we're seeing different content creators have success with different strategies in the format. And I think that's okay. And I think that is a product of the very flat power level of the commons that like beyond those, whatever, the, the rares and the uncommons and those top few commons that I think everyone sort of agrees are powerful, there is a lot of room to dive into your own preferences or to make picks to get you into the sorts of things that you want to draft. Like if Alex wants to draft, you know, red, white aggro a lot, he can do that or white, green aggro a lot. If I want to draft like, you know, little pockets of synergy, derpy style decks, I can do that with the commons and the format. I can find those synergies that exist. And that doesn't make one of us right or one of us wrong. It just means that we're exploring the format in the way we want to explore it. And I think this feels like a format, you know, you you coined this phrase in, in one of our discussions a, a few months ago when we were talking about maybe some episodes to do, but this feels like a format where you have to know how to cook versus following a recipe. I don't think you're going to be able to consume a bunch of content and find a lot of overlap. I think you're going to see people doing a lot of different things. And at a certain point, you're going to have to figure out what you want to do in call time. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. And I think it's interesting. You can end up where you want a lot because I think it's hard to read signals in the draft, right? Because I still don't think there's an accepted way to draft snow. And in fact, there's so much good snow stuff that I think even if somebody's cutting the snow lands, you know, you can pick good snow payoffs and get the snow lands in pack two if snow's being cut from your right. If you want to end up in a multicolor pile, I think you can, essentially. Unless like four people at the table are trying to do it or something, in which case you probably still can, but it's going to be significantly worse. But past that, you know, you can go hard after elves. You can go hard after red, white. It's just difficult to read signals. And I've been trying to categorize what I think are signals for all of the other decks besides snow for myself. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to give a guidepost. There's a lot of times, you know, pack one picks five through eight that the draft is really, really hard. And depending on the picks you make, you push yourself in a certain direction and then you kind of have to stick with it a little bit. Right, yeah, you do have to at a certain point double down on what you've decided to go down, like the path you've decided to go down in the draft. And I think, you know, this is a great sort of segue into talking about red, white, because one of the reasons I think red and white are so good, I mean, specifically red in my mind, but white as well, is that the commons are so deep. Like it's just such a safe 
off ramp to just go like, look, I'm going to take Axe Guard Cavalry sixth here, and I know I'm going to see late Tuscary Firewalkers, Craven Hulks, Dwarven reinforcements because people don't either don't value them or just because red is so deep. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both of those two things. All right, well let's uh, let's talk about Boros sort of in a general sense here first, and then we can look at the different flavors that we've drafted over the past few weeks. Yeah, I think. You know, red and white, both, you've talked about this, are really deep at common and uncommon. I think green falls into that list as well. I think green is probably the deepest color, maybe mm-hmm. maybe close with red, and then white coming up behind, mostly because white is so one-dimensional, right? White really wants to be aggressive. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I have here that like, I think red, white and green feel very deep and blue and black feel quite shallow. Like I'd say about half of blue and black's commons are cards that range from like stone unplayable to cards that like I'll begrudgingly include in my deck and red, white and green don't really have those cards. Now, I do think green is interesting in that green is kind of synonymous with snow in a lot of ways. Like if green is not snow, then that removes a lot of cards like Glittering Frost and Sculptor and Ice Hide Troll, you know, and you can have some pockets of snow to like enable Sculptor in your elves deck, that sort of thing. But but mostly you're looking at missing out on some cards if you're not snow. So that I think, you know, narrows green a little bit in the same way that white, if you aren't thinking about white as an aggressive color, well, then that sort of removes uh, some cards as well. Like, you know, are, are you thinking about is the ox something you're happy with? I, honestly, is iron verdict something you're happy with in these aggressive white shells? But I think red specifically has like, you know, it's got a couple cards that I hope to never play, like open the omen paths and smashing success. But then beyond that, all of red's cards are like, yep, this works. And a lot of them go in either these like more aggressive or more defensive, like they can play offense and defense quite well. Right. I think regarding green, there is a niche where you're not drafting snow. And if you identify that whatever green black elves is open, you're going to get some of those green elf cards that you want in your green black elves deck. Or if you're drafting green red beat down and, you know, people are drafting snow around you. And as a result, you're maybe getting struggle for skimfars and ravenous lindworms. Like there's space to explore there. And I think Trying to identify that is the hard part. You know, what the people around you are doing and what you can pick up from the colors and which strategy within those colors are open. Right. Yeah. So White's Commons, for the most part, have a very cohesive game plan, right? Save for the, the the few cards, White really wants to be super aggressive. And this is why the conversation around, I think, Battlefield Raptor specifically has moved that up and up and up. And the aforementioned Iron Verdict goes down, right? You don't really want... Your removal spell in an aggro deck doesn't want to be relying on your opponent trying to race you or attack you, as Iron Verdict does. You really want your stuff to be getting blockers out of the way. Yeah, I've liked Battlefield Raptor. I'm not going after it quite as aggressively as the rest of the world is. Basically, I don't want to fight over white with someone. So if I feel like someone at the table is drafting white aggro, I don't think it's good enough that I want to vie for it with them. But if white's open, I think you should be able to like wheel or get raptors you know, in the fifth through eight range. Yeah, I think that's a a great way to approach it because I think, you know, when you're looking at something that has the power level at common, you really want to make sure you're not fighting over that with someone else, right? If you're like also contesting, a, if you're contesting a weak color with someone else, that feels bad. Not to say that white is weak, but I think it's, I think the format is shaken out such that like teamer, even though we talked about blue not being super deep, I think teamer is ahead of white, black in the format at the moment. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, you don't want to then be fighting over white or black if you're ending up in those colors with other people. 
Yes. And I think, you know, if we take a look at red, similarly, very deep, and I think more flexible than white's commons, which is a huge bump for it. Like if I have a choice between getting into red and getting into white, I think I'm steering towards getting into red, mostly because the removal is insane, right? You've got Demon Bolt and Squash as both premium removal spells. Mm -hmm. And then Frostbite, I think, is still a very good removal spell. And then there's good creatures to back it up as well. You know, if you want the aggressive stuff, there's Ferocious Pup, which is a premium one drop, I think, in aggressive decks. And then Tuscary Firewalker is just a very good card in every red deck, I think. You've got stuff yeah. like Dwarven Reinforcements that can play well on the aggro decks. It also plays defense well against the aggro decks. There's just a lot of different things going on. You know, Craven Hulk might be red's seventh best common, and a blue-red Giants deck is thrilled to have that card, you know? It's just mm -hmm. very deep, and a lot of the cards do work in multiple different archetypes. I also think red and white make the best use of the equipment in the format and the runes in the format. Tormentor's Helm... Goldvein Pick, Raven Wings, and Ruined Crown, I think are all great in this deck. And I will say there's a pretty big gap of the one mana equippers and the two mana equippers. So I think Helm and Pick much more important in these decks than Wings and Crown. I mean, Crown is a whole other thing, and we'll talk about that later in the episode. But I think Helm and Pick, that one equip cost is huge. Yes, I agree. And I think the red and the white runes are also insanely high picks in these aggro decks, especially the red rune. You know, if you get your Tormentor's Helm to give plus two to the power, it's it's a big, big, big game. Plus two, plus one and haste for one equip cost is ridiculous. So like the, the, the red rune on either pick or helm is really strong. Well, and the white rune on something like Dwarven Hammer, you know, the living weapon equipment. Oh, but yeah. Then you just actually have locks and a Warhammer, right? Yep. Yep. That has happened many times. Or you get plus four, plus O and haste and trample. That's also ridiculous. Yes. All right. So let's talk about, I think, what people expect of this color pair, which is aggressive style decks. Yeah. So I think if you're drafting Boros aggro, in my mind, you either want to make sure that you have a card or cards that are a very good reason to be Boros aggro. You know, like, let's say you open Showdown of the Scalds. If I open Showdown of the Scalds, I'm very likely to just draft red white because it, it's likely to be open enough that I will be able to get there. And showdown is insane in that deck. That's the red white saga that lets you exile four cards and then put plus one plus one counters on the second and third chapters whenever you cast spells. It's ridiculous. And I think, you know, you win most games that you cast it when you're playing an aggro shell. Right. Or the other reason to draft red white is to audible into it after you're either fairly confident that it's open or, you know, maybe you started down a snow route and you feel like snow's super contested and you don't have great things happening. Basically, if you don't have powerful cards, my default is to go into red, white aggro or some sort of aggro deck. You know, maybe it's green, white, but I think red, white is the strongest. It comes together the most naturally out of all of those. Yeah, I think red, white's the best. I mean, yeah, you can be white, green, you can be red, black. Those are probably the other two, I guess, red, green as well. Those are the, the off ramps. But yeah, it's just such a good safety net. And I can't tell you how many drafts I've started where I've gone like, you know, green card, blue card, black card. Uh oh, <laughs> take axe guard cavalry, pivot into some red based aggressive deck. Yeah, it's just a very nice off ramp. So in my mind, here's some of the reasons that common and uncommon to draft Boros. I think, you know, if you've got a rocky start and you wheel a battlefield raptor from your opening pack, you know, after you've taken note, I generally just try to clock what I think are the aggro cards that are going around and how late they are to see if I feel like aggro is open. And then, you know, I wheel a battlefield raptor out of my opening pack or I wheel a ferocious pup out of my opening pack after seeing some red aggro stuff. 
And, you know, you can maybe even include stuff like run amok, although I'd be a little more careful about that um, on the wheel. But just noting that stuff as it goes by and then seeing, okay, this wheeled and it probably shouldn't still be here if someone's drafting aggro at the table. I'm going to snap that up and I'm going to be the aggro drafter. Yeah. And one of the great things about this color pair or these colors individually is how much they provide at common as we keep talking about. And so that allows you to feel like you can pivot safely late in pack one, even on the wheel in pack one, as Ben's talking about here. Like that's not a crazy thing to either speculate on in terms of like, ah, well, maybe this like snowy sultai life isn't going to come together. And in case that doesn't happen, I'm going to pick up a couple of these aggro cards on the wheel in pack one just to have this safety net or off ramp possibility ability at impact two and three yeah other reasons i think if you start a draft with a clarion spirit that really makes me want to be white based aggro probably red white aggro okay other stuff kaya's onslaught is super super good in red white aggro you know early on in the format i just need to maybe trust twitch chat a little more but people were telling me how awesome kaya's onslaught was and that i needed to move into white for it and i was like nah you guys are crazy it's fine it's just a combat trick i think if you see a kaya's onslaught later than pack one pick five it's a real signal that aggro is probably open and i think you could take it and it's hard if you don't have any white cards but if you're even thinking you might want to be aggro i think snapping that and starting to move in is a reason to do aggro i agree that kyle's onslaught is very powerful my problem with that is that i feel like some of the power of the red white deck is it can be a red white tricks deck with run amucks and onslaughts and wings or it can be a red-white equipment auras deck with, you know, the picks and the, the helms and the crowns. And I don't think you want a lot of overlap there just because you only have so many slots for these creature augmentation spells. And so that's one of the reasons that, make, that makes Kai's Onslaught feel a little narrow to me. But I agree it's very powerful. Yep, that makes sense. I think the other way is just to get into it kind of naturally by starting off with, you know, Demon Bolt as your removal spell. And then you get fed some red cards and then you read that white is open. I think that's another way to sort of naturally end up in red white Mm -hmm. yeah you can grab a a dwarven hammer early i think you know we're we're sort of pointing out these powerful uncommons in these color pairs dwarven hammer is just a great splash like i've I've played that as my only red card in some sort of green based splash deck but it's also just a really strong reason to be this red white aggro deck right it's a great card and you're going to play it in every red deck but it's at its best in red white aggro Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the last thing is one one we've already talked about is starting down something like snow or you start down blue white or whatever. And you just feel if you feel lost in a draft, a great safety net is to start drafting red white aggro because it is, like you said, so based on commons and uncommons. A red white deck with commons and uncommons can win and beat the decks with coma or whatever if you just get fast enough and get out underneath them. A little insight into how Ben is feeling emotionally in this format right now is how he has phrased this in our show notes. He wrote, starting down a lane like snow and getting bullied out of it. (laughs) It's true. never open yeah so uh next up here you've got a lot of the creatures are interchangeable so you need to make sure you know the ones that stand out at common and uncommon and i couldn't agree more i think really you know i don't know sifting through what this color pair has to offer you in terms of creatures and figuring out the cards that really matter or make the deck tick is important so what what are those cards yeah i think anything with flying is better than you think it is starting with battlefield raptor the card's very good and probably the best one drop you can have for the deck Mm -hmm. and i think past that stalwart valkyrie is insane and i think one of the kind of reasons at common to move into the deck you're not really moving into the deck for that but it's very good in the deck so a really common play pattern is because you're aggressive your opponent wants to trade with your early drops 
And then when they trade with your two drop and you could have a double spell turn on turn three or turn four with stalwart Valkyrie, all of a sudden you're way ahead. And that happens a lot when you're playing aggro decks. Yeah. Next up, we've got Besker Shieldmate as the best common two drop for the deck. And I, I have to say, if you told me at the beginning of the format that Besker Shieldmate was going to be way better than Story Seeker, I'd have told you you were crazy. But the fact that this dies into a 1-1 with all the equipment floating around, it really feels like a two-for-one, which is crazy for a two-mana two-one at common. Right. So I think this is actually just better than Fearless Liberator. So that's the one in a red two-one that you can pay two in a red to make a two-one dwarf token. Like you just get the token for free when yeah. Beskir Shieldmate dies. You don't have to pay three mana for it. I think right. it is just better than that card, which is really unintuitive. But when I was actually building, I was like, I kind of just want Beskir Shieldmate because paying three mana to make a two one is a raw deal. But your two one dying into a one one that you could then pay three mana to suit up with equipment is a good deal. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. And you get the creature on blocks and Fearless Liberator can't give you that either. Right. Uh, past that, the three drops are all pretty interchangeable, and they really shift in value depending on what you're doing. The one I find myself valuing most frequently is Starnheim Courser. That's the two and a white two two flyer uh, that makes aura and equipment stuff cost one less to cast, and that's really good if you have the equipment heavy version. Specifically, curving Starnheim Courser into Dwarven Hammer is really big game three into four because it makes yeah. it one mana cheaper. Um, so if you have any of that living weapon uncommon stuff, it's really, really strong there. And also it just does a great job letting you double spell with stuff like Bound and Gold. Bound and Gold costing two instead of three is huge. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Also, it makes uh, in green-white decks, I know we're talking about red-white, but in green-white, it makes Follow the Imposter only cost two. So I'll also enable double spelling with that card um, down the road is pretty sweet. I, I have to think that Tuscary Firewalker is the best three drop of the bunch. Probably. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Though I will say, I think Tuscary Firewalker is really powerful. I think there are some diminishing returns like past the first two copies. Like Tuscary Firewalker, I think, becomes a game in and of itself, right? It feels not like a Planeswalker or whatever, but the game starts to revolve around it and your turns want to warp around it. So like, you know, you want to make sure you have as much open mana as possible when you attack with it. So, and you can't play your land drop as well because you want to make sure that you can play your land and so that can affect curving out like you can invest in that card advantage from the card incorrectly sometimes when really you should just be like playing to the board or playing out the cards you know you can play out so i think just be aware of that and i think also beyond like you know loading up on them becomes a little awkward because you want to be able to activate it or curve out otherwise it's just it's an interesting card it causes a lot of cool play patterns or interesting decisions but i think you want to keep that in mind yeah and i think you know past those creatures it's really important to pick up your first copies of equipment like tormentor's helm and goldbane pick than it is a lot of the interchangeable creatures, you know? I, like, I think you value, for example, your first copy of Tormentor's Helm in the deck once you know your red-white aggro more than a Tuscary Firewalker. I agree. Yeah, the, the, you really want to make sure you have at least one of the one mana equip cost equipment. And I think Helm is better than pick on, like, you know, nine times out of ten unless you're trying to do some rune splash stuff, I think. I mean, th there is this, this thought of, hey, Goldane pick is sort of equip zero in a way if you can consistently connect with it right then you can use that treasure to then move the pick around and that's powerful in and of itself but i think helm is just more powerful in my mind that's what i've found as well the one cast one equip unless you're doing things like and also if you have a bigger boros deck yes. like if you're a bigger boros deck then i think goldbane pick becomes better than tormentor's helm but if you're lean mean beatdown machine i think tormentor's helm is your equipment of choice 
Agreed. We've talked about the red and white runes already, but they are super good. You really want to pick them, and those heavily incentivize you to draft the equipment-based version of the deck rather than the Kaya's Onslaught run-amuck version of the deck. And I think it is important to be aware of which one of those you're steering towards. Well, and you, this ties so beautifully into your next point, which is you frequently have a lot of playables at the end of the draft. This is because red and white are both so deep. And if you find yourself into this deck, it should be open. And so you're going to have, you know, you could probably have like 30-ish playables at the end of the draft and deciding on the composition and plan of your deck can be difficult. And we're talking not only like the creatures that you're including, are you doing the spells version, the combat trick version, or are you doing the runes and equipment version and even like what's your land count right i think these decks have deceptive land counts i think people are often like oh you're low to the ground you can be playing 15 lands 16 lands and it's like yeah but i also have four pieces of equipment in the deck and an axe guard armory and so i actually want to be 16 17 lands in this deck right because if you miss a land drop you're just not doing the thing also Right. Also, boast. Also, boast is another like huge mana sink. That's like, well, well, you have all of these ferocious pups. You don't need that much mana. It's like, yeah, I do. I want to be able to pump this and cast something on turn five. Yeah, I think it's really difficult the first times you draft red white to build the deck. And I think after you play with the cards, you get a sense of which ones are more important. And we'll try to lay that out here. And I think we kind of already have started to lay that out. But it can be overwhelming if you don't know what's up. And I think just having the distinction between the equipment version and the Kaya's Onslaught run amok version is really important from the get-go. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think you want a lot of run amucks in the equipment version because you only have so many non-creature slots, right? Right. And then you really want to end up with 15 creatures and knowing which creatures are better. Like, knowing that Beskir Shieldmate is better than Story Seeker and knowing that, you know, Battlefield Raptor and Ferocious Pup are the one drops you really want. And then maybe you'll play some Code Spell Clerics if you've got, you know, two Clarion Spirits or whatever. Different cards incentivize you to do different things. Like Clarion Spirit makes you want to shove your curve way to the bottom end. You know, cards like Shepherd of the Cosmos make you want to play a little more mid-rangey. And Red White really can do it all, the whole range of the spectrum. It really, really can. It's one of the reasons I think the color pair is so, so good is how flexible it is. And I, I think just to talk about, I mean, I think Battlefield Raptor, we probably don't need to talk about that much, but I think Ferocious Pup may still elude some folks. I know I was pretty late to the the Pup game here. And it just really shows how big of a difference it is a 1-1 first striker versus a two-power first striker. Like once you put a pick or a helm or wings on this card, all of a sudden it's very hard to block most of the time with the boast activation up. And it plays defense so insanely well yep it's unblockable it's unblockable (laughs) and it's a really good defender and once you there's times that you get like two battlefield raptors and a ferocious pup on the battlefield and a couple of them have two power and your opponent can just never attack you because you have five (laughs) first strike that you can block with exactly so just as far as you know wrapping up things about red white i think there's going to be a lot of times you're going to be faced with choices of multiple playables from a pack as well, especially if red white's really open, like there's going to be three cards that you want from your deck and you need to approach this not with like a pick order so much for red white, but what does my deck need at any given point? So like it's it's a disaster if you end up with too few creatures or if you only end up with two pieces of equipment when you wanted five equipment, you know, in the equipment version of the deck or whatever. So you need to kind of always be thinking about curve, creature count, like not overloading on removal. Like you can't have a good red white deck with all the equipment and three copies of Demon Bolt and three copies of Bound and Gold or whatever. And it's possible to end up with that if red and white are really open. So just be aware of I need to end up with a functional deck and not just take always all the best cards. 
I just keep this this cooking versus following a recipe analogy in mind. It's just like, you know, you're making some sort of sauce and you're like tasting it midway through the draft and figuring out, okay, what does this need? That's what you have to be doing with this deck because there are so many different permutations of it. You have to be really like have your finger on the pulse of, okay, what direction am I going down or what do I imagine this deck looking like at the end of the draft and trying to follow that. Do people think things need something other than salt? I feel like every time somebody's tasting something, they're always like, hmm. This needs a little more salt. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's my wife's criticism of my cooking always. That you don't use enough salt? Not enough salt. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like, I'm, I'm not trying to like live that sodium filled life, Ben. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm way out of my depth here. We should probably <laughs> move on back to magic cards. Okay. So talk to me about the skeletons for these various uh, aggro decks. Yes. So I laid these out to kind of not as hard and fast rules, but as guideposts to get you thinking about what you might need to pick up in the middle of the draft, you know, when you're trying to make sure that you've got a functional deck at the end. So I think in the equipment-based version of the deck, I think you ideally want three to five pieces of equipment, preferably Tormentor's Helm if you're really aggressive. If you're skewing more mid-range or bigger, you can take Goldbane pick over uh, the Tormentor's Helm. And then I think, you know, any copy of the living weapon equipment that you get, Dwarven Hammer is better than Valkyrie Sword, but Valkyrie Sword is also very good, especially if you have some Goldbane picks to ramp into it. Or, and it's also just fine to play and equip as plus two, plus one. That's true. Also, the Corsair makes a big difference there. Like the difference between Valkyrie Sword being six or seven is pretty huge. Yes, I agree. So three to five pieces of equipment. I think two runes, preferably one white, one red. I think you could go over that if you get access to more, but I think you very much want to end up with a couple runes. Mm-hmm. And I prefer them to be on color rather than off color. I am not about the pick splashing the off color runes because you just can't afford to stumble in the aggressive versions of the deck. Yeah, the 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 deck we're going to talk about a little later in the episode, that's where you can splish splash some runes. And I think you want a really good curve of creatures with as many flyers as possible because the flyers wear the equipment so well. And I think the equipment versions, we've talked about it, but really value the first strike from Ferocious Pup and Battlefield Raptor. So you're jamming as many of those as you can get as well. The common theme through these decks is going to be posing tons of questions and not looking for answers. And that's why you've got like two to three removal spells here. Like, sure, if you've got a Bound in Gold, if you've got a Demon Bolt, great. But like beyond that, I wouldn't be worrying about clunkyish removal. And, and I'm even talking clunkyish removal like Frostbite, like that may not deal with the thing you need to deal with. Squash may not be able to be cast. Like maybe you don't want the five mana removal spell and you don't have any way to enable it to be cheaper. Like you really, you can you can pick and choose and, and only need to devote a couple slots to these and be fine. Right. I think max you're wanting eight to 10 non-creature spells. And if you have five equipment, two runes, that's already seven. Like you mm-hmm. just don't have that many room for demon bolts. And you right. want demon bolts, but you just got to be careful about when you're picking and how many. Mm-hmm, for sure. And and I think you can also just be aware that, you know, when you click on that little graph on Magic Arena that tells you like the distribution of stuff and you see a creature count that is deceptively low, like 12 or 13, just remember like, oh, but my Dwarven Hammer is a creature and my Dwarven Reinforcements is that's another creature. And so you, your creature count can be deceptively low in the numbers category. Right. And I think if you're running the Kaya's Onslaught run amok version, you want as many Kaya's Onslaught as you can get probably somewhere in the three to five copies of run amok range and again two to three removal spells and you're just not as interested in equipment 
as that version and you really want to be a hyper aggressive curve of creatures and i think if you're running the run amucks you care a little bit less about the flyers because you can just push damage with run amuck right you care a lot more about high power and so maybe you're not interested in a one mana one one or a one mana two two and you really want want like the three mana three two or the two mana two ones that sort of thing right like and craven hulk is like way better in that version of the deck yeah, that that feels like the the Axgar Armory Craven Hulk run amok. That feels like the three musketeers of this format in my mind. Yep. So and then just lastly, some cards that look like they would perform well in Boros Aggro, but just really don't quite get there. Battershield Warrior, that's a two and a white yeah. two two. Um, you can pay one and a white to give your team plus one plus one. It's nothing special unless you're going wide and red white doesn't really go wide that well. So I think that just falls into the interchangeable three drop category. Yeah, and is is honestly worse than the commons. Like it's worse than Corsair, it's worse than Firewalker. Like I would much rather have those cards. Yeah. Next up, Usher the Fallen. That's the one mana two one that you can pay one and a white boast, make a one one. And Fearless Liberator is the two one that you can pay two and a red to make a two one. They're good, but they're not insane. And I think they're really interchangeable with a lot of stuff. I think Battlefield Raptor is better than both of those cards. Best Gear Shieldmates better than those cards in some builds. So you just need to be aware that they're not as awesome as they look like they are. Yeah, I agree. They, they both can do interesting things. And, and, you know, Usher the Fallen on the play is quite scary a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, I think it's pretty important to note that like these just aren't better than those commons. They're better, I think, if you're running Raven's Wings, but most of your decks aren't going to be running Raven's Wings. Right. Axe Guard Cavalry is another one. It just doesn't do enough as a two drop in red white. I think you just want best gear shield mates. You'd rather have the lifelinker. Axe Guard Cavalry does a lot more work in stuff like giants where you're yeah. hasting out giants. Yeah, it's it feels much better in blue red than red white, I think. Like a lot of times people have this as their two drop and I look at their deck and I'm like, I see a few threes and I see showdown of the skulls in your four drops out and that's it. I'm like, I don't know what the heck this card is doing for you. Yep. Frenzied Raiders, another one that's the one in red two two that gets a plus one plus one counter when you boast. If you've got a lot of ferocious pups, maybe, but I think best gear shieldmate is just a better two drop for you most of the time. Mm-hmm. Man, shout out to best gear shieldmate. It's doing work. I love that card. <laughs> Provoke the Trolls is just a little too inefficiently costed. It's the three and a red deal three damage and give something plus five plus oh if it didn't die. Um, I just think there's better removal. And I don't think you're that interested in removal to begin with. You'd just rather have bound and gold run amok. Not run amok. Well, you might even rather have run amok. Uh, Demon Bolt, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really missed on Provoke the Trolls. I thought this card was going to be sweet. And you're right, just four mana to deal three is so inefficient. And then Squash, same thing. It's too expensive and there's not enough room. Even if you've got like two Craven Hulks, it's not going to come together often enough that you want Squash. Mm-hmm. And final point here, do not put Ox and Plow in your Boros Aggro decks. Ben, I don't know about you. You probably haven't been messing around with this that much because you've been like trying to win and I have not been. But I I go after Ox, Plow so often and it never comes together for me. I get two plows and no ox or i spec on an ox because i think a plow is going to wheel and then it doesn't come around like this is just it's so it's such a fragile game plan and then that doesn't even account for how fragile it is to come together in your deck yeah i've done it twice this week it's very good i've had it in blue white shells twice this week that's where its home is i think because the oxes are just good cards there Mm. but you do really want to have a way to rummage and get rid of the pieces when they don't come together because it's pretty anemic when you have a plow with no ox it's so anemic. It feels so bad to just have that thing dangling out there. And you're looking at like, I have a three power creature and a two power creature coming down and I still can't crew this thing. Yep. All right. So we're gonna take a look at one of my draft logs here for just kind of getting into Boros in a, in a semi-responsible manner. So pack one, pick one. 
You started off with Sarulf's Packmate. It's three and a green for a three, three. And when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card, foretell one and a green. If you don't know what that card is at this point, not sure what you're doing. <laughs> Welcome to magic. Because <laughs> you're new here, I would assume. Uh, pack one, pick two. See the following cards as options. There's a snow-covered forest. There's a Notvald Recluse is probably the best green card, but that's just worse than snow-covered forest. Mm-hmm. And then in the red-white life, there's a Craven Hulk, uh, three and red for the 4-4 four, four that can't block. There's an Axe Guard Cavalry, one and red for the 2-2, two, two, tap to give a creature haste until end of turn. There's our boy, Best Gear Shieldmate, one and a white for a 2-1. When it dies, create a 1-1 one, one human warrior creature token. And then uncommons rares missing from the pack there's the green black uncommon land the red black uncommon land and fall of the imposter as the saga life one green white and you can put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature in the first two chapters and then chapter three exile a creature with the greatest power among creatures target opponent controls yeah i think with pack mate being your pack one pick one this comes down to snow forest versus fall of the imposter for me and i think there's a case to be made for either of them snow forest is probably safer because it keeps you green fall of the imposter has a higher ceiling but is also sort of awkward because like it's not a great splash because it's, you know, if you're splashing it, you're splashing it as a removal spell and it's a removal spell that takes two turns to set up. So that's not great. So you're sort of deciding like I might be green white and I don't know if you want to decide to be green white pack one pick two. So I would probably land on snow forest here. Yeah, that was my thought process as well. I did land on snow forest, but it's a close pick, I think. Mm-hmm. Pack one, pick three with Cerule's Packmate and Snow-Covered Forest in your pile. You see the following cards as options. Snow-Covered Mountain is still in the pack. There's a Runamuck as far as an aggressive card. In green, there's Grizzled Outrider, 4G for the 5-5 Elf Warrior, and rare still in the pack, Colvori, God of Kinship. That's the 2GG 2-4. I mean, as long as you control three or more legendary creatures, it turns into a 6-6 and has Vigilance, which is super obnoxious when your yeah. opponents do that to you. And then you can pay 1G tap and look at the top six to look for a legendary creature card and put it into your hand. So those are the green cards. And then in white, there's a Battlefield Raptor and a Code Spell Cleric. Yeah, I mean, I think I would just stick with the green plan here with Packmate, Snow Forest and take Colvori. And it's early enough that I really think like, you know, just once you have one other legendary thing you can search up, Colvori becomes pretty sweet as a way to dig for that. Um, and it's early enough that maybe that that warps your pick order a little bit or or warps what your second color is a little bit. And I'm, I'm kind of in for that. So I don't think Colvori is a great card. Am I too low on it? Like I've got it in my head as like C, C plus, like maybe you get some other legendaries, but 4GG for a 2-4 is not great. I think C plus is probably about right for it. And that's fine to take as a an on-color card pick three. Sure. So I have been feeling like green's been cut super much lately. And so this pack here, you know, with the run amok and the battlefield raptor and the code spell cleric. Also, we just passed the green white saga that I think wheels sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, you know, I want off ramps to either be aggro or be green. And I don't want to be green unless I'm getting super powerful cards and I don't have super powerful cards yet. I mean, pack paint is great. Snow forest is fine, whatever, but I've not seen any good snow payoffs yet. And you're unlikely, I think, to see the snow payoffs, you know, pick five, pick six, pack one, because people generally snap them up. Um, So I took battlefield Raptor here to try to hedge towards aggro a little bit. I think the battlefield Raptor pick is fine, but I think you're getting a, I think you are feeling a little, cut too early it's pick three you can't read signals pick three sure i agree but i i'm not reading signals necessarily but that i think that in this format there's a real tension with if you're gonna play snow or you're gonna play a late game deck 
you've got to have great cards because other people are going to have great cards. And if you don't start the draft with those great cards, it's tough, I think, to compete sometimes in that arena. Yeah, I don't know. This just this seems so early to take Raptor. It just seems like I mean, not that you're not that you can't play Raptor and Pac-Man in the same deck. You absolutely can. But it, just for my money, I would I mean, I know how the rest of the draft goes. And if I just keep taking green cards, my I'm feeling a little bit of a yikes here. Um, but I, I would take Colvory in the moment. Sure. And I think they're both defensible picks. I just want to try to get my thought process across. Yeah, I don't think I'm doing a good job of stating it clearly. <laughs> I think that this pack is bad, right? So I guess my my ultimate thought process is that I'm not going to miss Colvory if uh-huh. green and snow and stuff is open. I think Colvory is likely to be not a great card in my deck if I end up there anyway. So rather than doubling down on getting there on that, because I already need help to get there, I would rather give myself an off ramp right now by taking the Battlefield Raptor. That I think is more clearly stating it. So and if let's say Snow Mountain was Snow Forest, Snow Island snow duel you would take that here i assume over the raptor i would yeah if it was like a green black duel or a green blue duel absolutely okay yeah yeah that, that makes sense to me i think that point of this pack is bad is the thing that makes the most sense to me and that's when i felt the most like the my tiebreakers for this pack is bad is either let me find an off ramp or let me just get out of pack one as deep in one color as i possibly can and so i'm I'm doing the the latter with taking Colvory and you're doing the former. And I think both are fine things to do. And you want to just make sure you're recognizing that the reason we're doing it is that the pack is bad. And you are presented with bad packs a lot of the time in call time. Yes, I agree. And you need to make sure that you have a plan. Like both of us have a different plan, right? But it's fine because we have a plan. Right. And so I'm hoping to maybe wheel that green white saga and or wheel this run amok. All right, moving on to pack one, pick four, you see the following cards as options. Snowland is missing from the pack. There's a stalwart Valkyrie, three and a white for a three, two flyer, and you can pay one and a white and exile a creature from your graveyard rather than pay its mana cost. There's also, you know, for clocking aggro cards in the pack, there's also a Beskir shield mate. And then moving on to the uncommons, rare is missing. There's the blue black land, the red black land, and rune of might. Um, as the green rune that gives plus one plus one and trample yeah so with my route i would take green rune but not be happy like i'm clocking that the snowland is gone which doesn't make me go full panic mode yet but it might like if if snowland's missing this pack next pack next pack i'm gonna be looking to get off of green even if i'm seeing green cards like i like i said before i sort of equate green with snow a lot of the time and so I'm, I'm gonna be a little nervous there but i think green rune is good plus one plus one and trample is a lot to tack on to you know a tormentor's helm or a gold vein pick or whatever but with your route with having picked up the raptor you're pretty happier to take the valkyrie i would think yeah it's still a close pick and i think you can argue for runamite i just have gotten wrecked i've drafted green and snow enough and ended up with mediocre decks enough that i really don't want to do it unless i have a good reason to be doing it so i've been trying to get into it less Mm -hmm. um and so yeah i took stalwart valkyrie here because i'd rather you know i think stalwart valkyrie is going to be a great card like all of these cards go well in green white you know for example if we wheel that saga Mm -hmm. or stalwart valkyrie and battlefield raptor is a great start to a white aggressive shell agreed all right moving on to pack one pick five see the following cards as options snow lands here but it's a snow plains want law and white cards in the pack there's an iron verdict the three mana deal five to a tapped creature there's another best gear shield mate and in the uncommons there's rune of might and carter's vicious return all right so we just abandon everything else go vicious return get a master scald loop to loops <laughs> and we're good to go right is that how it works that's how it works for me yeah. So here I took the best gear shield mate. And again, 
I think I'm thinking green white. Maybe I can still play this pack mate or if green's not flowing, which it seems like it's not really. No. I mean, there's the runes here, but those aren't really green signals to me. Right. Like the runes are a deck in and of themselves in my mind a lot of the time, save for the red and the white one, you know, because those just like go in red, white pretty well. And so, yeah, like I would take the green rune again here. I'd have five green cards, but I'm not that happy right now. Right. And so I took best gear shield mate and I'm I'm pretty happy. You know, if we're talking about like, you know, opening up options, I feel like I'm a little more flexible than you are. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I can still be I'm probably just looking to be like, 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 not snow, double rune and pack mate is good in a green aggro shell. So I'm probably just looking to go green, white or green, red at this point. But even green, black can play aggressive as well. Yep. Moving on to pack one, pick six again, Snowlands missing and just sort of, you know, kind of based on the red, white episode here, we take a Tuscary Firewalker and I do end up getting into red, white pack one, pick seven, got a gold vein pick. Then a Fearless Pup, pick eight, did wheel the Code Spell Cleric um, from our opening pack. Oh my gosh. So, and, yeah. and two Shieldmates as well. Yeah, two Shieldmates on the wheel as well. So Red White was wide open, and I think that's a way that you can get into it there. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, well, just to round out the episode, I want to talk about the other end of the spectrum here. This is perhaps my favorite deck in the format, something I have dubbed Cole Control, that I, I think is a really sweet way to draft red white. So we'll just talk about it a little bit here and, and, and look at a draft log. So in my mind, I mean it doesn't the namesake is the the signpost uncommon here, but you don't have to have coal. The, the deck operates on two different axes in my mind. And the first is that it can, given the nature of the curve of the deck, it can be a beatdown deck, right? You can have draws from this style of deck that are like what we mentioned before. You can go one drop, two drop, three drop with an equipment, whatever. But it also has a ton of value card draw and recursion that it can go toe to toe with any deck in the format in the mid and late game. Yeah, I think Cole is awesome. I've had the pleasure of playing this deck like twice and it is a blast because you get all the benefits of red, white aggro, but you also just have like you get to do what you and I like to do, which is card advantage and grind them out as well. Yeah. So Cole as a creature that like makes anything that you have equipped or enchanted come back to your hand when it dies or even buffing your tokens from like Dwarven reinforcements is sweet, but it demands to be answered or all of your creatures threaten to return once they've died in combat or whatever. Um, it, it buffs the tokens, like I said, from Besker Shieldmate, Dwarven reinforcements, your living weapon equipment gets bigger as well. So now now your Dwarven Hammer token is a 6-2 instead of a 5-1. So just, just a little bit of bonus there. Axgard Armory is insane as a land in this deck that suddenly draws you two spells it turns into a divination or more if you're like finding runed crown that then finds a rune and draws a card um the key to the axe guard armory as the red white uh spell land is that you really want to make sure you have at least one bound in gold in your deck so you can search up your removal spell and this also you know if you don't end up with a bound in gold then maybe you are trying to get another enchantment in there like valor of the worthy is totally reasonable if you end up with a couple x guard armories that's pretty sweet with cold too because now your creature like dies into a one one flyer and returns so much value in this deck then yeah and i think if you've got the x guard armories whether it's in the aggressive version or cold control like you said you want one bound in gold and that really makes you want to play 16 or 17 lands you should not be playing x guard armory in a 15 land deck there's just no world where you should be doing that i don't think and it's also awkward like two axe guard armories is a lot in the aggressive versions but i think you know this coal control deck will happily run as many axe guard armories as you probably can 
Right. And and the more armories you have, then the higher your land count, as you're saying. Like in these control decks, I would never go lower than 17 lands. And like we said before, there's a lot of like deceptive ways to use your mana, like boast, like moving equipment. You've got uh, rummagers, I think, are very good in this deck, Immersturm Raiders and Seize the Spoils. Not only because they just like help you churn through your deck or get out of pockets of you know drawing too many lands or whatever, but the the sweet synergy of if you've got Ruined Crown or Runeforge Champion, the rare, the white two three, either of those can search the runes out of your graveyard, and so it doesn't feel bad to rummage away an off color rune because you know you can still pick it up later in the game. Right, absolutely. Uh, Shepherd of the Cosmos is ridiculous in this deck this is just sort of like your coal insurance but also can get back a ton of really sweet stuff can get back lands can get back axe guard armory so this is the four white white three three flyer etbs returns a permanent with cmc two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield which is pretty pretty sweet um it has foretell for three and a white as well and we should mention this is the deck that like really wants gold vein pick right that equipment shines in this version of the deck Absolutely. Yeah, because you're well, one, you've got a lot of flyers, you have a lot of places to use your mana. But also, I think this is a deck that is interested in splashing off color runes the most like this is the deck where I'm like, ooh, maybe I do the the death touch rune hoggy mob thing like that's where this fits in the most in my mind. Yes, I agree. So speaking of that, you know, rune crown rune forge champion, that's the rare that lets you search up a rune and cast all your runes for a single colorless mana. And all of the runes, I think, are welcome. Blue one, I think, is the least good. And red and the white are still the best, but you're more willing to splash the green and the black ones maybe off of a random duel that you got. Like those white snow duels float around a lot, and then maybe you've got a couple gold vein picks and you're you're doing the thing here. Right. It's really not hard to imagine. And, and I often will not play the basic to cast that rune. Like playing the green rune in this deck is pretty easy if you get a dual land. Talking about treasures from gold vein pick or seize the spoils, just rummaging it away, knowing that you can ditch it with a couple Immersturm Raiders if, if it's stuck in your hand. That's the other thing to mention. Like not only can the crown and the champion find the rune out of the graveyard, but they can also find it out of your hand if that's where it is and you can't cast it. Raptor and Pup are still great here. We've talked about how good they they wear equipment well with first strikes. So that's also good on attacks and blocks super well. Um, and they're very good to connect early with your gold vein picks. As Ben said, this is probably where the pick is at its best. They're also insane if you have the black rune, right? Like yes. playing defense, Battlefield Raptor with the black rune on mm-hmm. defense. What What is your opponent doing against that? Dying. They're just not doing nothing. Yeah. This, like we talked about, this this deck can have a lot of treasure producers. It can play some tap dual lands. Uh, splashing stuff like Furious Retribution, the black-white rare saga in a deck like this. Th- these are very reasonable things to do in this deck. Splashing powerful, single-pipped stuff is quite doable. Yes, completely agree. Dwarven Hammer, Valkyrie Sword, both phenomenal here as well. A lot of overlap, as you can see, with the deck that we described earlier in the episode and this late-game deck. But you just need to decide where you're going right Mm -hmm. like how much you want your deck to be able to grind in the late game and i think the more powerful cards you have like shepherd and coal and stuff like that and dwarven hammer the better your red and white card quality is the more you want to steer towards this coal control deck and when you don't have those cards the more you want to go towards the hyper aggressive version Right. I think once I know I have coal and an armory, this is the deck I want to draft more. Like I think coal is secretly a control grindy card. 
more than it is a signal to drafting red white aggro. I'd buy that. We talked about equip costs, sacrificing armory. These are all reasons to run more lands than you think. The, the a minimum of seventeen lands in this deck, but I will often run eighteen lands in this deck depending on how many armories I have. Don't be afraid to play traditionally controlling cards or late game cards like a Doomscar in this deck, or Maskwood Nexus as a mana sink, or a Cosmos Elixir as a late game card draw slash way to r- recoup some life loss. Okay, time out. We need to talk about Cosmos Elixir. Oh, yeah. Someone told me on stream that you don't think this card is good. I don't think it's good. No, I think it's worse than Behold the Multiverse by a significant amount. It just does some... It's just different. Like, (laughs) you should not play this card in aggro ever. I feel pretty strongly about that. But I think this card is better than Behold in any control deck. So here's my take. And you feel free to put out a rebuttal. As you will. I I will. So I think against aggressive decks, it doesn't do enough, like for spending four mana for the life gain, unless you kind of already stabilize. Like it's not saving Igu against the best curve outs from your opponents. And against the control decks, I think it's actually at its best, maybe in a control mirror where you're forcing your opponent to try to pressure you when they don't necessarily want to. But it's so slow because you have to get past 20 before it draws you a card like there's games that this single-handedly wins on its own right like there's times it's unbeatable but i think more often it just doesn't do either thing you want anywhere near well enough to justify including in your deck i mean maybe i've just had i played with this card quite a bit and i maybe have had just like you know best case scenario stuff i have had this card win me games that no other card could have won when i was on the back foot because the life gain brought you back yes but how did you stabilize like how was two life enough a turn to do that i'll find you i'll find you some game logs and we can go over them <laughs> i don't know I, I, like, you put me on the spot here to, to describe specific examples all, all i know is like this card has done that it's brought me back from the brink like no other card could have done it's a very polarizing card. Like a lot of people are on both ends of the spectrum, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you, you feel free to pass me the Cosmos Elixir. I'll, I'll pick them up. All right, sounds good. Um, I think you don't need to worry a ton about removal in this deck. Uh, Bound and Gold, Demon Bolt, a splash to poison the cup or whatever, that'll do. You get so much mileage from your creatures trading and recurring that like you don't need to worry about that specific spot removal so much. Yeah, I think you probably want a couple, like mm-hmm. catch-all type. Removal, yeah, but exactly. Yeah. Um, and then just briefly how to get into the deck. It's pretty similar to how we were describing getting into to Boros in general, right? Off ramping from a cut snow start, mid to late pack one coal or armory when I'm already in red or white. Um, and I am, and I don't think Ben is, but I am interested in, you know, pack one, pick one, Runeforge champion or runed crown. That leads me down this route uh, more than anything else. Yeah, spicy. Um, so let's say we'll take a look at a, a draft log here real quick. So pack one, pick one. We snapped up a Dragonkin Berserker, the rare one in a red 2-2 first strike. Uh, boast abilities you activate cost one less to activate for each dragon you control. Do you know how, do you know how sick this is with Maskwood Nexus, Ben? I would imagine very sick. Maskwood Nexus just does it all, man. Uh, and has a boast for four in a red, create a 5-5 five, five red dragon creature token with flying, which is just ridiculous. So snap that up. Uh, pack one, pick two. I think we've already got some interesting decisions here. Uh, Snow Swamp in the land, not interested in that. Best red cards in the pack. We've got a Craven Hulk and a Fearless Pup. Nothing else at common really to speak of. Three uncommon still in the pack. We've got Draugr's Helm, um, the one in a black living weapon style deal. Uh, pay two in a black to make a 2-2 zombie when it comes into play. And the equipped creature gets plus two, plus two and has menace. Usher of the Fallen, single white, two one, boast one in a white, make a one one human warrior creature token. And our, our favorite card here, I think, Shepherd of the Cosmos. 
Yeah, that card is sweet. Four white, white, three, three flyer, rebuy a permanent CMC two or less and has foretell for three and a white. I think Shepherd of the Cosmos is busted and I think it generally goes way too late in arena drafts from what I've seen. I think you could make a case for Usher of the Fallen here, but I think you would be grossly overestimating Usher and underestimating how powerful Shepard is. Well, and, and already we're making a decision here about the kind of deck we want to draft. Pack one, pick two, right? Take Usher and you're like, I want to be a more low to the ground aggressive deck. But with a two drop that is likely to die already in our pile, I think taking Shepard here is awesome as like a way to recur the Berserker. Yes, agree 100%. And I think even if whatever, Dragonkin Berserker is, I don't know, Demon Bolt, you're still taking Shepard here. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I am because I know that's the red-white deck I want to draft. Yes. Pack one, pick three. Again, we see pack is bad. Power level is flat. There's a, the Highland Forest, red, green, snow land in the pack. There's a Breakneck Berserker. There's a Master Skull. Those are our red-white options here. Uh, two uncommons in the pack. There's another Draugr's Helm. There's an Inga, Rune Eyes, three and a blue, three, three, ETBs, scry three, and when it dies, if three or more creatures died this turn, you draw three. And then Henjigit Pathway, the white, blue, rare flip land. So I don't know when you did this draft, but right now, if I were doing this draft and I had a choice, for me, this comes down to Highland Forest or Draugr's Helm, because mm -hmm. I think the, the rest of the cards we're not particularly interested in. And I think I don't really want to go down the snow route without green cards or a reason to go down the snow route yet. So I think I would be on Draugr's Helm as just a very powerful card over Highland Forest. Yeah, it's it's a Raleigh powerful card for sure. My thought was like snow still feels like a good thing to do. And if it's open, like if I get snow duel here and then go like I've got two incredibly splashable cards in my pile right now with Berserker and Shepherd because the foretell cost is three and a white. But like, my, you know, if if snow is open, I'm going to I feel like leaving myself out to do that. Like, I think I did this just a few days ago. OK, I think I'm I mean, like Draugr's Helm is powerful. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm, you're not going to be, uh, see me be mad about someone taking that here. Right. And again, this is where you want to go. You do have a lot of agency, I think, to steer your drafts where you want to go in this format. Mm -hmm, for sure. Pack one, pick four. There's a Snowfield Sinkhole. That's the white black snow duel. Uh, Feed the Serpent is here. That's like a, a nice little follow up to your Draugr's Helm there, Ben. There's a Craven Hulk is probably the best red option at common. Two uncommon still here. Pretty nice to see. Axe Guard Armory, the red white spell land, which I, I should say because I think I feel like every time I use this on stream, someone says it that it can do both. So it says sacrifice it, search your library for an aura card and or an equipment card. So you can get both, folks. Heck yeah. Uh, and then there's also a Rune of Sustenance. The white rune, one on a white, uh, gives lifelink to the permanent that en it enchants. Yeah, this is, I think, an interesting pick. If you have Draugr's Helm, I think you could think about Feed the Serpent. But even with Draugr's Helm, I would be on Rune of Sustenance here. And I think for you, it's a slam dunk Rune of Sustenance. Rune of Sustenance is busted. Right, slam dunk rune and... With Armory in the pack, I don't think it's crazy to think Armory could wheel. Like the, the pack is junkyish enough that it probably shouldn't, but it sometimes does wheel in pack one, and that's the dream. Yeah, so uh, round out the draft, get another Rune of Sustenance next, uh, spec on a Giant Ox, as I like to do, Red White Snow Duel, Gold Vein Pick, Starnheim Courser, and we don't wheel the Axe Guard Armory, don't end up with one at the end of the draft, but we do end up with Runed Crown and five runes, Ben. Two black runes, one red, two white. 
and two hoggy mobs to go with our little death touch rune package yeah and this is coalless coal control yeah yeah it's coalless and armory list but it has two shepherd of the cosmos doing doing their best impressions to recur our our one and two drops yeah and like you know it has a battlefield raptor it has two fearless pups it can it can do the aggro thing but in my mind when operating this deck i'm just like look i draw so many cards i have so much power here i can go toe-to-toe with whatever mid-range or control decks there are out there yeah, I think that's one of the sweetest things about this version of the deck. Who knew that uh, you and I would be excited about devoting a whole episode to red-white, Ben? <laughs> well, you had this locked and loaded up from the get-go. When call time was spoiled, you were like, we got to do an episode called And My Axe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, thrilled to be doing an episode about red-white. And you know, I've had a blast playing aggro in the format. It's been good and it's been good to me. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you, as always, to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can come check us out streaming on Twitch. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. Both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.